Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have got a critic's choice kind of show lined up for you. Uh, Josh Sagara is my buddy from way back when. Uh, He's also, you will be unsurprised to hear in the interview, that he's someone I played a great amount of basketball with in my younger days. This is now from our NYC Basketball League team. We've now had four players. That's Alejandro, Gabe Ebert, and now Josh, and of course me. Will we fill out an entire starting five? I think we need a shooting guard or maybe a small forward. We need another wing type because uh, we got a point guard. We got a power forward. Megan, we'll, we'll look. We'll see what we can't do. This is how we recruit guests for our podcast is just all your intramural sports teams. Well, it's both guests for the pod. And it's also more people from my intramural sports teams, right? It's the, both yeah. of these things fuel each other. Um, but Josh, if you haven't followed Josh's career, he has had some really awesome success in both the TV and film worlds. And then, of course, on the Broadway stages as well. Um, and I think he's like really... Really fantastic about talking how he navigated those worlds. So I think you're really going to enjoy today, um, where we talked about the nature of competition in art. We talked about that a lot, actually. Um, we talked about the awareness of the industry in school and how that carried forward for him. Uh, we talked about taking advantage of college and some of the classes that weren't just theater classes. We talked about the trajectory of Josh's career um, and even at one point getting a survival job instead of an acting job to stay for the the pursuit of what he was looking for. We talked a lot about having a support system and a net to fall back on. Um, We talked a lot about social media and the cost benefit analysis of what it does for you. And then Josh gives you some advice about learning your craft and not getting caught up in the nonsense. But Charlie, before we get to Josh, I know you have like a few things you want to let our listeners in on. Take it away. This is a a user interaction um, version of our little top of the pod takeaway. Um, I really just want to reach out. You know, we've now had a number of different kinds of artist guests on the pod. Um, But I really want to hear from you, our listeners, if there are any specific or general people that you want us to have on. Um, Megan and I have an idea of a direction we want to start going in and open up a bit. Um, but we also want to check in with you in case there are any great ideas of, hey, I'd really love if we explored this branch of the performing tree. Um, so please feel free to reach out via email or on the social meds if there are any specific guests or like guest roles um, that you're really interested in hearing more about. Or if there's a kind of part of the business or a segment of something, maybe it's related to college, maybe it's related to early career um, that you're really interested in. We'd love to hear from you. So please uh, um, reach out about that. Absolutely. And we'll do our best to get 
all those requests on. We'd love to hear them as well. And then we got some exciting stuff coming up for our MTCA students as well, or our younger students who are not a part of MTCA just yet. Heck yeah. As promised on last week's episode, I gave a little tease that this was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, here are some details for you to check out this MTCA workshop. So it's, we're doing a two-hour workshop called Launching Your College Process for any juniors or underclass people, I mean, sophomores, freshmen, um, or their parents. You could be do it just as a parent if you're a parent of a of a junior or sophomore um, who's thinking about looking at theater colleges. Um, this will be December 15th from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. That's 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern on December 15th. Um, and it's going to be a chance to kind of game plan and map out your specific process. So we'll take some of the stuff we chatted about in general in this podcast and really try to get a little more specific in terms of building a timeline for you. It's 20 bucks and no commitment beyond that in terms of MTCA. And I think it's going to be really fun. We have a lot of like a lot of special guests and you'll get to meet Leo and you get to see me and my face and not just my voice. Um, it should be really <laughs> exciting. Um, you can check out more details on our website or on social media, or if you want to go directly to mtcollegeauditions.com slash workshop. I know nobody ever actually just types in an address into their HTTP. <laughs> PS dot colon colon slash colon whatever. Um, but that's mtcollegeauditions.com slash workshop. I'll make sure to put the, that in the episode notes for sure. That would make it a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's get into this really fun conversation with Josh. I think you're really going to enjoy We are honored to have Josh Sagara on the pod today. Uh, Josh has a BFA from NYU Tisch. He's appeared on Broadway in musicals like On Your Feet, where he played Emilio Estefan, um, Lysistrata Jones, Dogfight. He's been all over your television screens and your movie screens uh, in shows like The Electric Company, Sirens, Arrow, Trainwreck. Chicago PD. He's currently in The Other Two on HBO Max. And there's a little rumor that Josh is about to have a role in the upcoming She-Hulk on Disney+, Plus, which Josh is just sort of shrugging. He's not sure if it's true. It's a lot of cone of silence. We don't know, but I've heard the rumor, so we believe it to be true. Josh, what's up, man? Welcome on the pod. What's up, brother? It's good to see you, man. Do they know yeah, that... Yeah. Do, do, your, do, your, do your folks know that you're a hooper? Do they know that you're a baller? Do they know that we built our entire intramural basketball team around our center? Do they know this about you? I think they are sick of hearing about it. Almost every episode, I make some kind of basketball analogy, something, (laughs) softball, basketball. They're like, we've heard it. We get it, Charlie. You play sports. I'm just going to keep bringing on my old teammates on just to like (laughs) myself up. But they'll have heard it in the intro. But Josh and I, of course, have played many years of intramural basketball in the the streets and in the gyms of New York. It's a great success. A couple championships. A couple. Just a couple. We're not bragging. Just a couple. Rings. You know, I don't still wear my rings, but it's not like that. It's not a big deal. I don't have them in my case right here. It's not a big deal, bro. (laughs) Um, Well, Josh, I want to take you a little bit back. We were talking a little before the pod about kind of what our audiences are. Um, And I want to speak a little specifically maybe to the younger audience group first. If you can remember when you were 15, 16, 17, and you were first thinking about, uh, maybe I want to go into theater. Maybe I want to pursue this professionally. As you were like looking at schools, do you remember what you were looking for in a school? Like what your goals were from a theater education? Man, I'll be honest with you. What's, you know, I, the first time I really started to under, to really fall in love with a the theater was in middle school. When uh, a buddy of mine named Bradley Schlagheck was doing The Wizard of Oz at the Shut community up, theater, and he was always dancing. He's an incredible performer. 
and he, we were good buddies and I wanted to be the lion. You know, I, I didn't know that I wanted to be the lion, but I knew in my heart I wanted to be the lion. So we did that. And then I got to high school and I had an amazing teacher named Mrs. Mueller, um, Jane Mueller. Shout out to her, man. She, she taught me, taught us, there's a big group of us. She taught us that she used to say, we're not doing high school theater. We're doing theater in a high school. Mm. And that was her mantra. So that's when I really fell in love with this thing and started to kind of understand what it was like to be on stage and do, that was my first time doing musicals and doing plays mm -hmm. and, and reading a little bit here and reading a little bit there. But I'll be honest with you, I still didn't really know too, too much. There was, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot left to learn. And I say that because I don't know if you guys talked about thespian festivals on here, mm -mm. but in Florida, we have this big thespian competition, just like, uh, you know, a debate competition where you get a superior, excellent, da, da, da. So, man, I went to my first thespian competition sophomore year. And you go sophomore, junior, senior year. And that's where the that's the first time I heard about colleges. That's mm -hmm. the first time I heard about conservatories. And you start hearing the names. You start hearing the big schools. And there was a scholarship that was given out. And there was a there was a, a whole sector that was for the scholarships. You would do either a solo musical or monologues, yada, yada. And another shout out to my boy, Wesley Taylor, who's a name that I'm sure a lot of cats know. This dude, our junior year, I think it was, I walked in to watch him perform because he was a local legend in Central Florida, Wes was, still is, went to Dr. Phillips. This dude did... From Footloose, I Can't Stand Still. And when I tell you that he was doing backflips and front flips and singing, and I'd never seen anything like that. Mm. And I, I'll forever remember Wes killing it, man. Just killing mm. it. So you start hearing about the schools. My junior, my I'm, gonna, I'm all over the place, but it all come back together. In eighth grade, a teacher took us to New York on a trip. My dad's from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And when I came up in eighth grade, I was 13, I guess. New York made sense to me. New York, it was, I felt like a lost boy in essence. And I got here and we're all lost boys and girls, you know? <laughs> so you kind of just unite with all these other folks. So I applied to two schools. I applied to Florida State University because in Florida, we had this thing called the Bright Future Scholarship, where mm -hmm. if you get a certain amount of hours, community service, you got a certain thing on your SAT, certain GPA, you get a full ride. Okay. So now I'm learning about colleges and I hear that FSU has this amazing theater program, which they do. Mm -hmm. So now I'm falling in love with the theater Parents had my back a thousand percent. I think it's because they didn't know what this business was. My parents are from Puerto Rico. I'm Puerto Rican. You know, they're both pharmacists. So to me, my mom and my dad, whatever you want to do, puppy, you know, like, okay, you know, what time is rehearsal? We pick you up. What time? We drop you off, you know? And um, so I applied to Florida State. And um, because of, that was the route that seemed most natural. Mm -hmm. But man... At the time, you started hearing about the Olsen twins going to NYU, and and that that ranking thing came out about like the dream schools or whatever, and NYU was at the top of this list, 
and New York made sense to me when I was 13. Mm-hmm. My dad's from the Bronx. And there was just a part of me that knew like, well, I guess if I'm going to do this thing, I want to do it with the, with, I want to go to the big pond, you know, mm-hmm. like if that's, that's where the fish are, let's go play with the fish. Mm-hmm. So I applied to NYU with two of my buddies. We all drove up, I think it was to Atlanta, auditioned together, got in, and um, the rest was history, you mm-hmm. know? So it's funny because I talk, I laugh because I don't know if I really meant to get up to New York. I don't know. I didn't think about it my whole life. But once it became a clear path, uh, I'm always going to lead with conviction, you know, like if you're going to jump, let's jump, you know, if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your abilities. Don't be scared, you know, so I love here it. we are. That's such a good answer. So it's, it's, you got a competitive school up there. You're excited about that. You know, you're excited about NYC. It certainly makes sense to, to end up at NYU. Like Charlie, Charlie, I didn't even know that NYU had different schools. <laughs> I didn't know that there were different programs. I swear. I didn't know that there, I didn't know about Adler, Strasburg. My, I didn't know what NYU was. I just knew mm-hmm. that it was a school in New York and actors live in New York. All right, let's go. I've heard it's great. You know? <laughs> we can't leave just because you brought up Thespian Festivals, which we've not talked a lot about on the show. Awesome. Though, despite, the, I know that's a, a big thing in Florida. Um, it's in a different place in the country. We cannot leave Thespian Festivals without hearing. What was, was there a favorite solo that you did? Was there any, what, what do we remember from our Thespian days? Any like truly outstanding Thespian work? Well, see, now you're making me brag because one of the highlights of my life was getting a best in show with my boy Ross Asdorian for a duet musical from Xana Don't. Uh-huh. Um, we did it our junior year. Um, and how so how it works, for those that don't know, you go to your room and you get your you get your your critique. And then like out of a movie, you know, District Five, we were troop twenty eight eighty eight, District Five. And shout out to my boy Wesley again, my boy Danny, all those Dr. Phillips cats. They made us they made us on fire because they were the studs, you know? They were killing it. They were they their school was the magnet by Universal. We were the public school, you know? So you you're there and after you get your critiques, you get and we got our straight superiors. So then the rumors start flying because they're going to put up on a piece of paper the best of show in each category. And what that means is you don't perform in this small room anymore. You perform for the entire festival and they take one from each category, best solo musical, best duet, best group. And me and Ross got best of show, went and um, performed. And then we got Critics' Choice. And critics' mm. choice is mm. you are the best of the best. Oof. And then you go perform at state. And at state, you open the ceremony with your performance with all the other critics' choices from all the other districts. Funnily enough, that was the first time I ever saw Miles Teller perform. Miles Teller, 14-year-old ninth grader, I'm pretty sure he was a freshman year, walks out onto that stage and we were all just watching walks out on that stage and delivers two monologues one was about a nunnery if i remember correctly and one was something else and that boy shed tears on stage and i'd never seen like an honest actor before because at this mm-hmm. point we're still like super performing you know what i'm saying You're doing backflips and stuff You're yeah backflips using backflips and, backflips and trying to hit the back row 
And out walks Miles, dude, and just talks mm. and just tells a story and made all 5,000 of us just whoosh, right onto that little kid, man. Mm. So and cool. now he's one of the best actors of our time, dude. This, I mean, this all feels like it is a movie. This feels like this is where Pitch Perfect comes from or whatever. Yeah, like, Glee, or, so. like you're saying, I'm like, so. uh-huh, I get how this. It's competitive art always feels a little bit weird to me, but I'm into it. If it's yeah, it inspired a Josh Cigar, I'm into it. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about those NYU. So now you show up at school. You don't even know that there are different schools, but eventually you must figure this out. Of course. Um, at NYU, you got studios to go to. Tell me a little bit about the experience. What, what was it like for you sort of being an NYU student? I loved it, man. I was, uh, I was in Adler for two and a half years, and then I did Stone Street, which is the TV film studio for a semester. Mm-hmm. And then my senior year, I just did Academic. Um, I'll, I'll go backwards. I'll end on that. You know, to me, that taught me everything, everything, you know, I I learned the basics of what this thing is that we do. Mm -hmm. I, they gave me a, they gave me a lot of tools. They broke down my ego about a lot of things. Um, they, they taught me what it was like to, to, to really look at this as a craft but at the same time, what NYU did was, you know, at the end of my first year, I remember kids leaving to go do Spring Awakening. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa. At the end of my, you know, freshman year, I remember kids leaving to go shoot movies and stuff. And you're just like, wait, so, okay, how do you do that? Okay, you get mm-hmm. your manager and you get your agent and yada, yada, yada. So it was from afar that I was allowed to learn about what this business looked like, just kind of being thrown into the pond. And then, you know, you're making, you know, all my friends seem to know a lot more than I did about playwrights and different plays. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I started reading, you know, the pillow man and Jesus hop the a train and you're reading McDonough plays and you're doing reasons to be pretty. And you're doing all these things that of course are pivotal to our careers now, because that's the basis Mm-hmm. Good scene work, teachers that changed my life, good actors. And um, and then it's funny to talk about competition art because that's a real thing in our business. It's like you want to shy away from the idea of competition. Mm. But in a way, I kind of feel like that's a safety net because it is a competition out there. So in school, we started to feel that. Where you're like, man, in my class at Adler, we're a class of 65. And then at Mm -hmm. Strasburg, they're a class of 55. And then there's Atlantic, Meisner, Playwrights, Cap 21. And you're hearing about all these other studs at all these studios. Mm -hmm. So it quickly put you into that real life mentality that I feel like sometimes could rock some people when they move to New York at 22 mm-hmm. after college, mm-hmm. because college can be this safe haven for you. And it's, it's, it's an advanced level of what you've already felt. And all of a sudden you move to hell's kitchen and you're just like, okay, now what, you know, now what do I do here? I'm sitting in my apartment. Don't call it hell's kitchen just because I lived in hell's kitchen, Josh. Come on. I was come there at too. Me like I was there too. You know? No, I, I, I remember it's when I first in, asked you on the pod, I, I was sort of retelling you this story a little bit, but I have such a distinct memory of us at like 22, 23, young, just probably sweaty after a basketball game, walking through Hell's Kitchen, 
and you telling me that experience of like what what you feel like you gained from the business having agents and managers and people being aware of you at 1920 in school mm-hmm. and having that awareness of the industry and it was such a different i remember for 23 year old myself i was like what you would what you should do is go to off to a bubble and really learn art and then you'll come learn the business later right that was the model that i'd always ascribed to and i thought was kind of the way to do it and it was really helpful and interesting to hear that different perspective and to hear about how some of that maybe competitive fire that i've certainly seen on the court fueled you in life to be able to go, oh, I, I see what I'm going, I see the thing that I'm going for as well right here. And maybe it wasn't a distraction for you the way it was for some people, but more of a, a motivator. It goes, I got to study hard in class so I can go get that thing. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's like to be even more clear, you can never be in competition with anyone else. That'll just be poison. Mm-hmm. That's the worst poison, you know, compare and despair. That's a saying that they say you can never do that. But Man, if you ain't in competition with yourself, you know, like I, I'll put it this way. Nobody's going to be more prepared than me for every audition that I go on. You know what I'm saying? That's all I can do. That's all I can control. I will be prepared. I will never not give a hundred. So just know that if you're out there and you ain't prepared... <laughs> You're coming up against me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. what I mean. You know? And then you can sit back and you can toy with all these thoughts. And I'll go, well, did you read the script? And they go, no, nah, I just prepare the sides. And you go, oh, okay, cool. You know? Oh, I didn't memorize them because, you know, they told me not to memorize them. I just read them off the... Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Sounds good. It's that healthy fire. That's a an old J.J. Watt quote I sometimes give where like he talks about that in the trenches of like when when we're in there, when it's mano a mano, like we know who put in the work. I know I was in the gym. I know I was putting that work. Correct. And you're going to know when we butt, butt up against each other who put that work in. Correct. It's that tricky line in this business always of like how do you keep that competitive fire without – we talked a little bit about this in one of our episodes with a, a therapist who's a, a wellness expert of like without it flipping over into compare and despair, without Correct. it becoming that fire eating you alive. Correct. It's tricky. It's a tricky line. Um, let's do a little bit. We're going to play two games, Josh. Of course, we have Love to play games. games. And you now Josh has set himself up with the competitive fire. Let's see how well he does in this game, the competitive game. Absolutely. Um, we're going to try a college flashback game. So they are going to be 60 seconds on the clock. I'm going to see how many questions you can answer about your college experience in 60 seconds. Great. If you choose to be funny and interesting, that's fine. You just got to get an answer out to the question, though. Great. The record so far is 14. It's going to be tough to beat. Oh, I love this. All right, we got 60 <laughs> seconds on the clock, Megan. Right, ready, set, go. Hardest class for you in school? Shakespeare. Scene that you love the most? Uh, Pillow Man. Uh, s- a snack that got you through college? Honey buns. Did you kiss anyone in your class? Yes. A uh, teacher you learned the most from? <laughs> hmm, Alice Saltzman. Did you attend a frat or sorority party? Yes. Ever cheat on a test? Yes. Most embarrassing costume you wore in college? Um, not embarrassing, most proud, a luchador mask. Did you play any intramural sports? Yes. Um, did you study abroad? No. Where would you have wished you'd studied abroad? London. Uh, did you vote in college? Yes. You remember your school mascot? Yeah, of course, the violets. Uh, scale of one to 10, how much juice did you squeeze out of the educational experience of college? 10. How much out of the social life of college? Uh, 10. Nice. Dude. 
Did, did that get? Did that get in? We got the uh ten. Are we counting the uh, the yeah, uh again? It was after the, the buzzer. Timer. It was after the buzzer. Oh, after the buzzer. He's too kind to himself. But he did tie Sarah. He got fourteen. Even without the buzzer, so we're going overtime. We have to bring Sarah back on. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really nice to see Josh. Really nice. It was efficient. Clean yeah, answers. and I have to say, I wasn't even being giving you as good assists as I, with Sarah. I was like, oh my god, she's going. I was like, I was ramped up. I was taking it slow with you too, so you did pretty good. You got it. And, and I love that you took passes were a little slow. <laughs> yeah, little slow. thank you. Well, I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, I'm trying I'm to still warming up. I really appreciate that you answered a different question. I gave you an embarrassing question. You, you go, no, different answer. That's yeah, my I'll give you a different answer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> pretty cool. Um, tell me a little bit. You you mentioned with NYU. Um, the academics part of it. So the senior year being all academics. Tell me a little bit about that. What was, what was that like for you? So I think it goes back to your question about squeezing out the juices. I had, so the way it was structured, every year they have this curriculum for each studio. And NYU was really good about explaining like, hey, do your core studies for, I think it was two years. And then mm-hmm. you could transfer. Some schools had a transfer track. So a common path was to kind of do your, um, do your foundational studies at a Strasbourg or an Adler and then go to an ETW experimental theater wing. Mm -hmm. So then you're not doing any scene work for a year. You're just like dancing around the room, you know, and expressing yourself (laughs) and feeling freedom. ETW just dancing around the room. We're not, we're not, not going to be the slogan that we're giving. No, you're not doing anything. You just dance. (laughs) See a little known fact. There's jokes about every studio being like, how many Adler kids does it take to change a light bulb? How many ETW kids? Yeah. Yeah. We all Mm -hmm. have our own. But for me, at this point I'm in college and I'm starting to now really get like, okay, goes to even abroad. I knew that being in New York for me was abroad. Mm-hmm. So when kids mm-hmm. were going abroad, I was already in the mindset of like, no, nah, I'm here. So mm-hmm. I'm going to live here in New York and I'm going to go try to get a job or I'm going to go try to do a play or something here. Now I look back and I wish I would have just gone to London. You know, I mean, that would have been awesome because I was a kid and I should have done it. But who knows, man? Who knows if things would have laid down the way they do because everything did lead to where we are today. So I'm in school. I finished my two years. The way the third year at Adler was structured was the first semester and the second semester. I think they switch it every year. One semester is you do a contemporary play and the other one was you do a classical play. Um, I already expressed to you that my hardest class was probably Shakespeare. Um, so I knew that the first semester was going to be contemporary. So we did a play called Ravenscroft and, um, Angela was our director, an incredible teacher over there. And it was a great experience. And I knew I wanted to go to Stone Street because at this point I'm starting to kind of grasp this idea. Like I need to learn how to act in this TV film world. Mm -hmm. And they were really cool at that studio about doing soap opera class and doing commercial class. And Mm -hmm. it was the beginning of Stone Street too. I think they'd only opened it a couple years earlier. So they were figuring out themselves too. So by the time I'd finished up my third year, I don't know what it was. I'd already shot, I'd shot two indies at the time. Uh, The summer after... The summer after, I think it was sophomore year. Yeah, the summer after sophomore year, my friend Dara Rosenberg said, hey, I'm doing this off-Broadway children's musical of A Midsummer Night's Dream. 
and we need a Demetrius. I said, okay. Like, I love Shakespeare class. Of course, I'm ready. Let's go. So <laughs> I go and audition and joined this little company and did this play at the Soho Playhouse in Soho. And I did it for that summer. And that was my first like professional experience in New York. Well, a manager named Susu Stanton, my first manager ever, came and saw it. And that was my first representative in New York. She had a good relationship with a casting director office named Sigde Miguel and Stephen Vincent. Mm. That was her best relationship. So she always was sending me into that office. <laughs> Look, I keep getting and, this office. And Sig and Steve gave me my first gig, which was a, a movie called The Narrows with Sophia Bush. And Kevin Zegers. Funnily enough, I went and played Sophia's brother on Chicago PD later on. And I was sh I shot that in the summer after this little play. And my mom and my dad were always, you know, they, they were always weary of me dropping out of college. I never had a reason to drop out of college. I'm sure if that mm -hmm. came along and somebody offered me some incredible movie, I maybe would have had a harder decision. But it just so happened that I got that little movie over the summer. I got that musical over the summer. I'm going through my junior year. I'm with Susu that whole year. At the end of Stone Street, they would have showcases on Monday nights. They would always bring in somebody from the business. And that's where I met my second manager, Erica Tuckman, who was awesome. And she really taught me a lot about meeting the new offices, you know, getting into bigger offices. And that's where you started to feel that real life thing happening now. So this is at the end of my junior year. So that summer, I went and shot a movie, I think, I think it was that summer, called The Ministers with John Leguizamo, and that was incredible, and uh, Harvey Keitel. That was that year. So going into my senior year, I'd already had two little indies and a little musical. And I just felt like, you know what, I'm at this school that has one of the best business schools in the world and one of the best med schools in the world. If I walk out of here and I only know about plays, mm. I don't know. It's kind of a disservice to my acting. I've always thought that as an actor, you can't just know how to act or else you're boring. You have mm -hmm. to know about other things. Like if you're just that actor that's obsessed with acting and you don't know anything else, I don't know, that only gets you so far. You know, so senior year, that was that. I just took so cool. stats and I took music theory and I took every random class that I could so that that way I was just kind of expanding my brain so that I knew that eventually these things will help me in my career. They will help my acting. And mm -hmm. that was that. And then what about, so, for so far, most of what you discussed would be what we call like in the straight acting world, right? Plays, Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. But now on Broadway, we've seen a number of musicals, beautiful yeah. musical roles. Have you training? Are you still doing those backflips from the thespian festivals? Yeah. Are you taking voice lessons? How are you keeping that, that side of yourself up? So it's kind of funny because my love for this business was because of musicals. Because I grew mm -hmm. up in church singing. That's how this all started. Singing in church doing all the plays, but I always wanted to be the devil because that was the more interesting character. You know, like Jesus is boring. He's the, come on, he's, he's too nice. He's too forgiving. I wanted Predictable. to be- We get it. Water. Come on, dude. You heard the story, bro. There's no creativity left for you, big dog, you know? So my love for this was with music. 
And I got to New York, I got to NYU and I got, and they put me in Adler because that's the other thing. I didn't audition for CAP. I auditioned for the acting studios. They place you. Once again, I didn't even know about the studios. I remember my interview, her being like, so what studio do you like? And I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. I was like, I, I want a one bedroom, not a studio. school. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I got up to New York. My connection with music was an awesome acapella group named the Enharmonics. Mm. Now, I can say this honestly, truly, I was the worst one in the group. I'm not trying to be coy. I'm, they were incredible musicians and incredible singers. But maybe they saw something in your boy mm-hmm. that, could be a, that could add to this group. Okay, that was my connection. Um, I'm graduating college. And my, my first job was the electric company. Mm-hmm. The first day of shooting was my day of graduation from college. It wasn't always this smooth. There were rocky patches. <laughs> but first day of shooting the electric company was my day of graduation. And the, the creatives on that were Chris Jackson, Bill Sherman, And they made all the music and Tommy Kale directed a bunch and helped us with the music. And Lynn would always guest star with us and do these things called interstitials. So at 22, I spent one or two days a week with Chris. Chris was like music theater royalty. All of it. Come on. You don't know it yet. Chris, I owe so much to Chris Jackson because he Mm. was always in my ear. He he taught me he taught me how to how to sing a little bit better in the pop genre. He taught me what it was like to to perform with conviction. He taught he was he just he took me under his wing and I owe so much to that man. Hmm. So coming out of that, coming out of electric company, Chris was always like, "Man, you should do musicals, bro. You should do musicals, bro." And I was like, "All right. All right. All right." I can't remember really how it happened, but the first thing I did was a show called Fat Camp. I auditioned and I got cast as a character named Brent Von Bingenberger. <laughs> Perfect and for you. I love you. Brent Von Bingenberger. Bingenberger. It was the best, dude. <laughs> and that's where I, I owe a lot to those guys because to Tim and Randy, Randy Blair and Tim Drucker, because that part was really funny. And he was like, he was really dumb, that character. Easy. No acting needed. No acting needed. And it, that was the first time that I really kind of started to flesh out what I know I love to do now. Uh-huh. That real honest, you kind of think he's like a lab or you don't know if he's like a goldfish. <laughs> but he doesn't know that he's uh-huh. that way. He thinks he's the hero of the story. You know, and that was the first thing that really got me into the theater scene in New York. It was choreographed by Dan Connectus. Dan, we finished that run. Dan called me a few months later and said, hey, I'm doing this musical. We did it in Dallas. Our lead, this kid, you might know him, named Andrew Rannells, is now going to do this other show about some Mormons. Mm -hmm. So we need a new lead. 
Right. He didn't want to play Jesus. He wanted to play a Mormon. Mom, he, he wanted, wanted to play get a Mormon. Too. You devil. He was a Mormon. Got it. So he wanted. So there's a lesson here because at the time I didn't know who Andrew was. Mm-hmm. If I would have known who Andrew was then, I probably would have been terrified <laughs> because that's one of the best dudes we got. So the show was about a basketball team. So Dan said, it's really good pop music. It sits right in your voice and you can be the captain of this basketball team. I ended up getting cast. That cast we did at the Judson Memorial Church. And that was the first time I learned, you know, I was beating myself up a lot during that run because I couldn't do pencil turns. I couldn't do fuetes. I couldn't do, uh, I couldn't do leaps across the stage, but I learned that what you can do is bring whatever it is you are to a part. And hopefully any smart director, smart choreographer will hide the things you can't do and showcase the things you can. So what did we end up doing? Your boy could dribble. That's what I'm saying. Could they do layups? Could they dribble between the legs? Come Come on, on. your boy could dunk. So my homies that could do fuetes and pencil turns couldn't do that. So why don't we shape something? So your boy ka, 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 on rhythm, ka, 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 and they're pencil turning behind me. Your boy is dunking off a trampoline and they're fuetang and jumping and leaping behind me. Let's go. And off we went and we did that show. And then the rest was history. You know, mm-hmm. after that, I you know, who knows where this had been. I auditioned for Sky and Mamma Mia for the tour. I auditioned mm-hmm. for every tour there was. I didn't book a single one. I applied mm-hmm. to Straw Hat in college. They didn't even call me back. You know, like, but you just, one thing leads to the next. Fast forward a couple years. I hear about this show that Joe Mantello's directing, written by Pasek and Paul. I knew Benj from just the Hell's Kitchen Hang. And I wrote Benj on Instagram and said, hey, I hear this is a show about a group of Marines. I'd love to be a part of this. And he said, yeah, of course, come audition. Booked it. Once again, it's finding your strengths. Mm -hmm. It's finding what you do. Has your boy ever been to a dance call? Hell no. Charlie, (laughs) why would I go there? Why would I lie to these folks and tell them that I think I can do something that I cannot do? Mm-hmm. It just shows that you don't know what you are. But I'm Puerto Rican, so we can move these hips. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we can move these hips. So I love it. But before we fast forward too much, because I love that we're definitely, we, we hit Les Estrada Jones there, we hit Dogfight, and we're going to even go a little further into On Your Feet. But I'd love to hear a little bit because I got to be witness to some of it of like your experience, maybe from like 22 to 26. I don't know what that right range is for you because I do think someone, and I think this is often true when we're young, will look at your career and be like, damn, he was successful so early and then just was successful the whole time. Just look at from show to show, amazing thing. I'd love to talk a little bit about like what was between that success? Because I definitely saw some of those ones. I got, I was privy, lucky enough to see Josh when it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know when the next job's coming. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I don't know. Correct. You know, in terms where I'm like, you've already had this great success, but still not necessarily feeling you're at the place where you're rumored to be in She-Hulk yet. You know what I mean? Correct. It's not like, what about those stairs in between the first success out of school and the place that we're trying to get to? So after Liz Estrada Jones... I think like like 95% of us, that was our Broadway debut. Mm-hmm. 
and we were open for 30 nights and we were closed. 30 days and 30 nights. 30 days and 30 nights. We closed right after Christmas. You want to know a funny story? So it's Christmas week and that's a big week for the theater. You know, like that's when you're supposed to kill, right? Mm -hmm. So they bring us in. And the first step was, hey, we want you guys to go into Times Square and market the show. So we were out in Times Square passing out flyers with our faces on them. Okay? Be like, oh, is this you? Be like, yeah, I'm in the show that I'm asking you to come see. You know, It's a Broadway show. It's a real Broadway show. It's I promise. real. Okay? It's real. It's right there. Uh, you don't it's right there. Man. Sure. So after Liz Estrada, I learned a lot. Oh, so let me tell you that story. So Christmas Eve. They tell us, they're like, hey, these next couple shows are big for us. Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, if we don't do well, we're going to (laughs) close. So the way the show was structured was we'd come down these aisles in in, uh, robes, singing like a... "Ah." We go, we all land on stage, and then it's like, go, 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 fight, fight. Fight, and we all take off our togas, robes to see the crowd. So they had just told us if we don't do well, we're gonna close. Christmas Eve, we get to the stage, fight, fight. They took the 35 people that were in that 1200 seat house Mm. and put them into like the center of the house. Mm. And at that moment, we all just looked at each other and burst out laughing. Had <laughs> the best show of our lives, dude. Absolutely. We were so, we were, we were just, it was so funny. I will remember it forever. That, that is the magic of theater, right? You want to be in that 35 person audience. We're like, what is happening right now? I'm in on a secret. You can't see that on TV. Whoever was there that night had the best theatrical experience of their uh-huh. life. Okay, truly, truly, truly. So we're finished up with Lissy J. Let's be honest. That's what this is for, right? Man, I I got to be on Broadway. So you do think things are going to line up for you. Mm-hmm. You, th- you think the job is going to come. You think it's just mm-hmm. going to be there for you. And right after that, this is a lesson here for, for the young bucks. I had a great relationship with my manager at the time, but it wasn't the right relationship. There were things that I knew didn't feel the way I wanted them to feel. Now, in hindsight, I think it's because I loved Entourage. So every young actor wanted to have Vinny Chase and E, you know? Like you thought that that's what your manager should be, your best friend and confidant and manager. Yeah. I knew that something wasn't right for me. There were times where I just felt like I knew I was being, I needed some, a different type of support than I was getting because she's an amazing manager, but it was, it's like a relationship, dude. Mm -hmm. It's it's, Mm -hmm. any relationship. You can be perfect. They can be perfect. But if your potions don't mix, it's not right. Mm -hmm. And I knew then that I just, I couldn't be in it. And it was terrifying and it was scary. And I and I knew I was gonna hurt her, mm. but I couldn't be in it because it wasn't right for me. So once again, thank goodness for the universe, we ended that relationship. 
and another manager called uh, a week later, called over to Abrams and said, hey, I'd love to meet with Josh. I heard he's without a manager. My agent called me and said, you're not taking any meetings. We've got you covered. And I was like, okay. <laughs> a week later, that manager called again and said, I'd love to meet with Josh. And my agent, Paul, called me and he said, okay, I have to be honest. This guy's irritating the shit out of me, but he's a really good manager. He caught wind that you were without a manager. So go ahead, take the meeting. And I'm with him to this day. His name is Andrew Tettenbaum. Mm. Andrew, I owe everything to, bro. Everything. Because to go back to your question, we finished Lissy J. He came and saw my little Joe's pub thing. He'd come and watch my little thing here and there. And then... I got a couple offers to go do musicals out of town mm -hmm. that were going to be in, in process. They're going to move to Broadway. Mm -hmm. They're going to do all these things. And at the time I just wanted to work. I was just on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if they're giving me this job, I should go there. And he was like, no, no, you have to be here. I was like, yeah, but it's work. He's like, yeah, but it's not the work that we want to end up with, right? Mm -hmm. Where are we going here? Where are we going? I said, okay. I was like, but what? I need money. He's like, so go get a job. Just go mm -hmm. get a job that nobody's going to see you at. You know, go work at a restaurant in Queens, man. Just go. Are you too good to work? You know, like just because you were on Broadway don't mean you're too good to go have a job. Go get a mm -hmm. job. Okay. So I started, I started to teach spin at the Gold's Gym on 54th and 8th. And one thing led to the next, and he was in my ear, in my ear, keeping me confident. I remember calling my dad and mom in Times Square, bawling my eyes out, terrified that I was never gonna work. And my dad said to me, Baba, when you went to school, doctors go to school for eight years. Lawyers go to school for eight years. He's like, we didn't think you'd become an actor in four years. Mm. Take your time. We mm. have your back. And I'll forever remember that conversation with my parents because not many people have that, that, that feeling of a net. Mm -hmm. And my net was my parents. My net was Andrew. My net was Paul at Abrams. These people that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself believed in me to get to a place that I didn't even know existed. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. my realm of this business when I was a kid was Nickelodeon. It was mm -hmm. all that. It was Keenan and Kel. <laughs> and then as I got older, it was the theater. It was Broadway. And as you're in that, then you realize like, oh man, maybe I can audition for some cool movies and TV shows. And I can mm -hmm. audition for NBC and CBS and studios and, but if it wasn't for Andrew and Erica and Susu and Paul and everybody at Abrams and now my folks at CAA, they believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. And it's kind of wild to feel that. And when you say like you didn't believe in yourself, I'd love to talk a little bit about like, because I do think from the outside watching you, you were always somebody who 
was so good at keeping that competitive fire going, mm-hmm. right? So maybe you're getting some help from one, some of these wonderful support systems. Amazing. But what are you doing other than maybe, you know, that spin class to keep you employed? But like, what are you doing that's keeping that fire? That's keep, if, if you got it at the thespians festivals from Miles Teller and you get it at NYU from some of your classmates, damn, they're talented. How are you keeping that fire to go? I'm still reaching for this other goal, even when it feels like it's impossibly far away. I don't know. It was never, it was never, I'll be honest with you. It, I'm just competitive, Charlie. <laughs> you think it's, you think that's innate. You think you're born with that. You just go, I've always had that. I'm going to go book train wreck. I'm going to go book this next thing. I'm going to go that like, even if you got knocked down, that fire never really dwindled for you. It's kind of the, I, it's, it's a funny thing. It's like, I've always been pretty one track minded. In the sense mm-hmm. that if I'm going to do anything, I want to do it right. So for me, I was seeing other people do it. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was there. Mm-hmm. So that's this magic potion, right? Like that's this, 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 like, this thing that you can't explain, but you just kind of keep getting back out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I do owe it to those people that, that were telling me, like, no, you're doing it. You're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Not even as an actor. I mean, my mom and my dad, like saying like, Papa, you're doing just fine. You're doing just fine. You're doing everything we could have wanted you to do. Not once in my life have I heard from my mom or dad, maybe you should. So even in those interims, mm-hmm. when I wasn't working, that's when I think the people around you start to feel like they're protecting you maybe. And they go, you're so talented. You should go do other things. Put that talent towards. So I think it was my parents' naivete, my uh-huh. naivete, and just the idea that you just keep going. You know, like what else are you going to do? I'll put it that way. I'll put it this yeah. way. When I wanted, when I talked about quitting, when I talked about quitting, being like, Oh man, I'm done with this. Andrew would be like, cool, man. So what you going to do? I'd be like, oh, well, I'm just going to quit. He's like, okay. And then do what? Be like, Oh, and then um, just because they don't like me. Be like, oh, okay. So now you're that rocked because you didn't get this, that you're just going to uh-huh. stop this thing that you've been in love with your whole life. And uh-huh. you've been trying and working towards your whole life because now your ego is bruised. You just going to quit. Good. I hope everybody quits because we ain't quitting over here, Charlie. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, I thank God that we got to a place that we're at because at the time I sounded dumb, I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? But it's just that. It's just yeah. that. If you could bottle up that kind of dumb, though, that is, boy, is that a, a, an elixir that people could use. Because, I mean, I, I do think it is the rare person who can just go back on the court. I'm getting back on the court. I'm getting back out there, yeah. you know, and not feel and still stay sensitive to it, not put the defense mechanism up and be like, well, I don't even give a crap because you can't do that. You still have to be an artist who feels things, but then gets back up, gets back up, gets back. I mean, it's a it's a really beautiful thing that that you have it's funny how like the universe works in a way thank you buddy for saying that i appreciate you (laughs) for saying that it's funny how the universe works where i feel like if i can look back i don't know the timeline but there was something about like i would i would feel a certain kind of way and get 
get to a place where maybe I stopped believing and then I'd book Homeland. Uh-huh. So I booked my first little pilot guest star. So you can feel something about yourself and then you walk onto a set opposite Claire Danes mm-hmm. and you're talking and we're hanging out. I had one day, two days, I think. You know, one day of shooting, two days down there in North Carolina. And you go back home and the people around you tell you, hey, that's that that's it. Like, that's what mm-hmm. this takes. Like, you just got it. So go calm down. Mm-hmm. Go go smoke a little weed. Go, go do whatever you need. <laughs> Not to our 16, 17 year olds, only the adult go listeners. Do what do that. you need to do on the in-between mm-hmm. and keep your mind right, keep your mentals right. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't believe, they stepped in and believed for me. And then after a while, you start taking on that energy from the people around you and you start to feel a certain kind of way. And then it's just like you said, Charlie, like, I think a big thing in our business is everybody thinks that they can do everything. Mm. And it's like, yo, you ain't that good at that, man. You know, like, how do you not know that you ain't that good at that yet? Why Russell you Westbrook, that? stop shooting threes. You just don't need to right, do it. You don't need saying. to, you do other things. That's what I'm saying. It's just so funny because I think in our business, because now, especially now in 2021, there are so many avenues to go down to mm-hmm. achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve that sometimes I think you can get lost in these weeds, you know, and you don't, and you forget like, Hey, if you just kind of focus on the things that you enjoy or you have fun doing, or you feel like you can strengthen, that'll make you a better performer. You know, the example I'm going to give is this. Your boy is not a writer. Okay. I'm not a writer. I will never be a writer. I don't want to be a writer. You know why? Because I've worked with incredible writers mm-hmm. that have spent their entire life writing. Mm. So why would I come now at 35 and tell them, hey, you know what I can do? What you do? Oh, I'm good. I'm going to write this. <laughs> because, 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 because you should come and try to do what I do and act. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there's, there's avenues to this for me. And I just want to work with smart, good people that care so much about what they do that mm. we can make something special together. Mm. Beautifully said. Okay, so we're going to dive into each episode. We do a unique game with each guest. Um, and some of them are different, taking us in different categories, different places. I thought because you've done a basketball musical, I could do a basketball trivia game. Which I thought that was going to be enough. But then I thought, well, I really should incorporate other stuff in there. So this is the game that I've come up with. We'll see. I'm going to read a person's name. And you're going to tell me, is this somebody who has played for the Orlando Magics? Professional Basketball Association, or a comic book character. I thought we'd give like Disney Plus a little bit of love for both. Of, they both own the magic and they get their comic books. So I love like, it. We're gonna give I Disney love Disney. it. Or the third category is a name I made up. So it's either going to be an Orlando Magic, a comic book character, or a name I made up. It's not going to be an easy game. It's going to sound easier than it is. No, no, no. I'm Good sure life. it's going to be tough. Okay. You ready? Yep. Scott Skiles. Magic. Of course. Scott Pilgrim. Character. Very good. Scott Anthony. Made up. 100% right. We're three for three. It's going to get harder. Here we go. Dennis Scott. Magic. Spawn. Character. Spondy. Made up. Yes, that was a Shakespearean foot inspired made up comic book character I tried for. But I thought after Shakespeare class, I thought I might get you, but you're ready with Spondy. Okay. Shaq. Magic. Hito Turkaloo. Magic. 
Eric Magnus Lencher. Made up? Magneto. That's Magneto's name. I may be pronouncing it wrong, but nice. that's the character Magneto. Nice. Okay. Our first miss. That's okay. You're still shooting great. Uh-huh. Nikola Vucevic. Magic. Hal Jordan. Made up? That is the Green Lantern. The name for the Green oh, Lantern. Oh, good mm. work. Penny Hathaway. <laughs> Made up. Oh, close. It was close. <laughs> Tracy McGrady. Magic. DJ Augustine. Magic. Marlon Thomas. Made up? Made up. Very good, Josh. That was an excellent game. That was like 14 for 15. <laughs> you, you guys, if, so for people who are just listening to the podcast, do you see how competitive Josh is? He's, not only is he kiss, kissing his biceps right now, but he was actively sweating that whole time. Like he didn't take this like lightly. He wasn't like, whatever, it's a silly game. He's like, I'm going to be as perfect as I can Absolutely. in this game. There's Absolutely. a scholarship attached to this. Absolutely. This is best in show, best in class, Absolutely. critics' choice. The lesson, the lesson I will tell to the young bucks is this: <laughs> you cannot be competitive enough where you're a sore loser. Everyone fucking hates a sore loser. Okay, yes. everybody hates a sore loser. But yes. if you're gonna play a game, play to win. Why would you play? Nobody knows uh, me more than people. They're like, oh, I just play to have fun. I'm like, why? Why would we yes. do this then? It's fun to win. Absolutely. If there's an end to the game, so we should all. We should all proceed to finish the game to the end. That's what I like. Yes. And I think people mix up the idea of someone who is competitive with someone who is a sore loser, and those have nothing to do with nothing each other. You're saying someone who's bad. bad at playing games, who plays games incorrectly. I play games to win. I'm happy to lose. You won. Yeah. Great. I played my best. But like, I'm going to play to win. No doubt. Exactly it. This is why Josh and I are teammates. That's exactly it. Um, I want to talk with a little bit of wrap-up contemplation about where we are now. So we skipping over some of the amazing success. All right. So Josh has been like, was crushed it on Arrow. He's, you know, everyone's favorite villain on that show. Played the devil. Got to do that. What we talk about. Uh, he on your feet for forever. He was on the airport. So we kept seeing his damn face. I'm, I would be like in 30 foot high Josh as I walked off an airport. I was like, Jesus, Josh. Okay, so he has an amazing success and still continuing on and on and on uh, with all this stuff. I'd love to talk a little bit about that in terms of the social media world. So I don't know exactly when this happened, but at one point I joined Instagram maybe two, three years ago. And I was like, does Josh have one trillion followers? Like, how does that happen? So first off, how did that happen? Was that a conscious strategy or did that just happen from being in a, a, a number of successful projects? And then like, how did it affect your life? So like, what was that like? Did it affect your online life, your offline life to kind of have that little bit of online celebrity or celebrity really? Well, so what's funny is that now I'm not on social media. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. So you've now removed yourself. I got off a year ago. All right. So tell me, talk me about that journey a little bit. I got off a year ago. So it started when everybody was getting on Instagram. You know, I started with 30 followers, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just for our friends. And you were taking pictures of your food. I was taking pictures of rice and beans that I got at the corner. I was taking pictures of like my apartment from the outside, you know. And the first time I got a a jump was when I did Sirens. Mm -hmm. And Sirens in PD. And that jumped up to like 10 or 12,000, I remember. Mm -hmm. Because that was the first time I was in the Ks. And at the time, it was still fun. Mm -hmm. And then the next big jump was when I did Arrow, maybe. And that's mm-hmm. when I started to get bigger jumps because that's also when the socials started to become part of our daily. Right. It's expected part of your work. So I'll be honest, though. At that point, it started when I started to hear people talk about how your work was reflective of your socials. 
mm-hmm. I started to have very visceral reactions to it. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I'm going to say this. I'm always weary to talk about it because I want everybody to know that to each their mother effing own. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Like, if that's mm-hmm. you, man, kill it. Do it to the best of your abilities. Make that content. Go get your money, yo. Go get your money. The people that I love, the actors that I emulate, the Mark Ruffalos, the Billy Crudups, when I was a young gun, the Matt Damons, you know, Mm -hmm. like the John Leguizamos, there was mystery to them. Mm -hmm. So now we're in this world where the socials are part of your work. Okay. Okay. And I'm getting... I'm getting up, uh, 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 it's growing a little bit. And then you start feeling, yeah, it, in me, I started to realize that I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want my personality to, my personality to be part of my work. Mm-hmm. So then I started to try to make it my own. And for me, it was pictures of wrestlers. It was pictures of the Jets and the magic. It was every once in a while, once I had my family, I'm, I'm kind of skipping a little time, but it'll. once I had a picture of my family, I'm really protective of my boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that feeling where I feel bad that people want to know me on that level. Mm-hmm. I feel bad that I'm not giving them that. But my way of paying it forward is that if you ever see me on the street and you stop me, I promise you, you will not catch me in a bad place. I promise you, because the people that I've stopped and I've met after the stage door, I always did the stage door after my shows. That's my way. Come meet me there. Because the truth is, I just started to feel like whatever it was that was being transformed on the socials, I no longer had control over. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? The re- you mean you didn't have control over the relationship that maybe someone was having with your son or your wife or you, you know. With me, that's exactly it. Not even, it's just with me. So it's kind of funny because it's funny, like even, even, even though I thought I was doing it my way, Mm-hmm. It wasn't even that great of a representation of me, you know. Like <laughs> right. my wife, actually, I'm like, you're not just WWF that's saying, fan. Like, like that's something, but yeah. Like my wife said that to me one day. She's like, "What's funny is that it's not even a good representation of you. Like you're actually a very different person that it's that what you are protecting yourself with in uh-huh. a way. And it's just a matter of things that I grew up with, and I think even Denzel is on it now. But like Denzel used to, you know, have certain sayings, you know that keep the mystery Philip Seymour Hoffman. There's a 60 minutes that I still watch every six months. And he just talks about his, his biggest goal is to fool his friends. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I don't expect my friends to think I'm a good actor. They know me. Mm-hmm. They're going to mm-hmm. see me do the things that I do daily. But if I, fool, yeah, if I fool my friends, then I got there. So mm-hmm. what's interesting is that with social media, everybody's your friend. Right, you have two million friends or whatever. Everybody's everybody knows you, so all of a sudden, I th- I'm trying to hold on to be the last of that breed, where 
It's all good. I know that I might frustrate some folks by not giving them my personal, but I sure hope that you come to see the things I do and like the characters I play. Mm -hmm. And, and if you know me as a Puerto Rican father that I'm so proud and husband that I'm so proud of being, it's going to be really hard for you to believe me as an abusive Cuban dude yeah. who beats yeah. his family. It's just going to yeah. be really hard. And I don't uh -huh. want to give people that confusion. I uh -huh. want to be able to fly in a bunch of different colors and play all these different things. And to me, the socials started to get to a place where I no longer was in control of the narrative. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not my own publicist. I don't want to talk to the camera. I I want to be an actor. Mm. And I love that you talk about it in terms of like cost benefit analysis. Like, because not all of our listeners necessarily, hopefully some of them will have the problem of too many followers and, and the celebrity version of it. But I think we should all think about social media of what am I getting and what am I giving? What, what is it costing me to get any benefit? And just weigh that and go, is it a positive? Right now for me, I'm like, part of why I rejoined it. I'm like, I do think it is important to broadcast a message and I'm, I am going to try to be my own publicist in some ways, but to be wary of, it is not free. Even though you don't pay for it, it is not free. And, and what you're giving up, I think is a conversation everyone should be having with themselves. That's super, and that's the thing. Like there's so much good in it. Truly, there is so, like people are building businesses and and mm -hmm. and voices that weren't heard are getting heard. And, mm -hmm. and people that are amazing creatives, that's a platform to go out there and do it and be seen and get representation mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and make your path. That's why, please, like, when you hear me talk about it, it's like you said, Charlie, for me, at the end of the day, I finally sat back and said, okay, it's run its course for me. I had fun. Uh -huh. I was on it for eight years. And now it's just time, you know, just time. And of course, you want to know the other side of it. I've got little boys now, and I know that they're going to mm -hmm. grow up with it in their life. They're mm -hmm. going to have it in their life. Mm -hmm. And I remember what it felt like to be on AOL Instant Messenger and <laughs> the girl you had a crush on be online and not respond to you. I remember, that, 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 that. I remember these past few years, the times that the socials would get me sad or upset. I remember, mm -hmm. I know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. So now that I'm going to help these little kids grow up, I just want to give him something to see that isn't part of it, you know, and just say, it's okay, Papa, you know, like, I, I know that you're sad that you may not have a lot of followers. I know that you're sad that you didn't get too many likes, you know, but it's okay. I love you. It's okay. So, you know, I say all this, I'm so weary to talk about it because it's such a, it's such a, it's such a hot button topic in a way. Yeah. I just want, I want, I want the cats to know that I support really like go do your thing, mm -hmm. go do your thing. But when the time is right, and it's affecting you a certain type of way, don't be scared to leave. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Don't be scared to leave. People are still going to like you. People are still going to love you. Don't mm -hmm. be scared. It's okay. You can do it your own way. 
You talked a little bit about some of those different voices that are elevated um, on social media. I'd love to just talk just in general about this industry and some of the ways it's changing in 2021 and has changed over the past year or is going through this metamorphosis. Um, and specifically, we've talked a little bit about you know representation and inclusion with some of our previous guests. I kind of wonder, like, did you feel any additional pressure as a Puerto Rican actor in terms of like what you were representing, how you were representing yourself, your family, your culture? Was that something that you thought about at 19 or did you feel like I'm an actor? No, not to come come for me, if you will. Not a not a moment did I think about representation because Uh I'm Puerto Rican. I, I am Puerto Rican. I'm eating rice and beans my whole life. You know, like as a as a young kid, you're not thinking about that bigger voice yet. Uh-huh. You're just trying to scratch and claw your way into the business, you know. But what's funny is that at the beginning of all this, when I was first auditioning, you you you're wondering what you are. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because I was I was always Puerto Rican. I never thought about what I was. I was a kid mm-hmm. from Orlando that came up and now he's an actor. Okay. So then you're auditioning and, and, and then you start to realize that that thing of what you are is a superpower in a way. Mm-hmm. But it took the right people to help me bring that out. It took Bob Fisher and Dennis Leary on Sirens to make Billy Cepeda Puerto Rican mm-hmm. for me. Because I'd be sitting around with them and I'd tell them about the little Pentecostal church I grew up in with chickens in the back. And they're like, oh my God, dude, the finale is at a Pentecostal church with chickens in the back. I was like, okay. That's one of the first times where I was like, oh, okay, I'm representing now for Uh my family, for my people. Fast forward a little bit more. Now I'm in On Your Feet and I'm playing Emilio. Come on, getting getting to do the accent for the whole year, for the whole run, you know? I was just doing my uncles. I was just doing my aunts, you know? I was just doing my mom. So all of a sudden, our opening night, you've got 19 Puerto Ricans at an opening night for a Cuban show on Broadway? It's awesome. That's another moment where I go, man, this is really cool to be a representative for my people. So it's kind of a thing that for me, I hold so near and dear and I'm so proud of. And it's just part of the armor. It's part of what you wear, mm-hmm. you know, but you still approach every character from the, from the inside, you know, mm-hmm. what makes this character tick? That's what you really approach the characters with. And honestly, if there are cats out there that are digging it, then that's all we can do. <laughs> um, I'll wrap with just one last question, which maybe if you're thinking about a young Orlandian, maybe 16, 17, thinking about doing all this, maybe they've just gone to their first thespian festival. Maybe they're listening to this podcast today. What advice would you give to that person in terms of like what we should be doing in the next five, 10 years? What, what advice would you have if I want to be a little more like Josh Segarra? What would I do? I would say, learn your craft. Don't get caught up in the weeds of trying to become famous. Don't get caught up in the weeds of trying to get movies and television shows that, that 
that you see on, don't get caught up in that nonsense. If you're 16, do your school play, do your musical. And if your friend gets the part that you wanted, congratulate them and do your part to your best of your abilities and apply to colleges and go to college and, and don't try to leave. Don't try to do anything. Just learn your craft, have fun because all that other stuff that comes, I don't know how to explain it. It's just kind of like magic. Nobody can explain it. Every actor has to blaze their own path. Every single one of them. Nobody's journey is the same as the next person's. So as a kid, and I'm just coming from my own experience, I'm really thankful that I didn't know what this thing really was at 16, 17, so that that way I could just be Schroeder and you're a good man, Charlie Brown, and have 17-year-old problems. I was more stressed about Ashley Parsons turning me down to homecoming than I was about life, to be honest. You know, like, we can't shout out Ashley Parsons for shouting you. We've had out. too many good shout outs to put through shout that. Out. I can't cut it from that. the pod, Megan. Can't poor Ashley's like, out. I missed my chance. With shout out. Oh, like, no. I was more stressed. That's what you guys should be worrying about. You should be worrying about things that teenagers worry about. Because all that other stuff, I promise you, if you learn your craft and you work hard and you memorize your lines and you take notes and you don't let your ego be the only thing that drives you, but also have an ego. If, mm-hmm. if surround yourself with your parents and your friends and listen to them when they tell you that you're doing well and listen to them when they tell you that you could try other things a little bit better, like all these things make us better humans so that if you're one of the lucky few at 22, 23, 27, that the right person happens to see you doing whatever it is that you were doing not to be seen, mm-hmm. that's when that magic potion gets concocted. It's like people can read that on you. If you're trying to be seen, people can tell. Mm-hmm. So work hard, love your friends, go on dates, get your heart broken. Ashley, shout out. Bro, just do the things that life is about. Because this acting stuff, this business, this show business, it's kind of a beast that just kind of like mm-hmm. travels. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, you just get to hop on it, you know? And mm-hmm. like the truth is, Charlie, the truth is, it's like, one day I might get kicked out of this party. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I might. And and if that happens, my wife, my boys out there, my other boys in kindergarten, your boy will move to Orlando. Maybe not even Orlando. We'll go and we'll do something else. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got the people around me that make this all worthwhile. So beautifully said. That was like 19 pieces of advice, but all of them fantastic. Um, And just a huge thank you, Josh, for coming on the pod. It was so great to get to catch up with you. This was really fun. This was really fun to get to talk to everybody. So thank you. Well, my cats and bucks and kittens, (laughs) I hope you enjoyed listening to Josh. 
What a fantastic energy he has. I know that to be true in life, though I did not necessarily know it to be true in podcast form. Um, but this was such a fun interview for both me and Megan. We just were smiling for the whole uh, recording time. Um, and for those of the, you who are listening who aren't going to see this on YouTube, which by the way, YouTube videos are coming. We're going to have a YouTube presence. We're going to upload these episodes sound-wise to be on YouTube, but also some little um, clips with videos. But the amount of animation in Josh's body while he was gesticulating these points was like just as infectious as his vocal energy. I think you'll hear it in his voice too, but like he had us bouncing around. It was great. He may say he shouldn't go to a dance call, but I would definitely go watch him in a dance call. That's exactly what I was going to say. He says he's not a dancer, but he's quite the mover. He's quite a mover. He's quite, he also says he's, he can dunk, which I've never seen him actually dunk. Maybe trampoline dunk. We'll, we'll get to that. I'm just kidding, Josh. I love you. Okay. So we hit on this point a lot in the episode, um, but I just want to do a little deeper contextualized dive on the concept of la- like healthy competitive fire. Um, we talked about it in Carrie's episode in the other side of the coin being like compare and despair energy. Or, you know, the other idea is like spending all your time looking left and right. You're not keeping your eyes on your own paper, on your own path. But like the true athlete that Josh is, he is so beautifully hooked into a healthy motivation that has fueled him for his whole career. It's one of the reasons I love sports so much and will make my daughter play at least one competitive team sport for a period of time, as long as she likes it and if she doesn't, it's fine, whatever. Um, I think they can really teach you some of these lessons so deeply. Like, what is it to push a teammate and potentially be pushed by a teammate to be your best self? And this is what so many of our classmates and then colleagues and peers can do for us in the artistic world, right? They can do it differently, too, than I think a mentor or a coach. A mentor or a coach can guide, but what a classmate can do or what a a teammate can do in the way that they push you the same way that acting opposite an amazing actor can inspire you to step up to their level, a teammate and a peer can push you and inspire you to be your best self and, and to keep you going when you hit the deck, when you're feeling low. Your teammates are the people who pick you up off the, the court, right? They're the people who go, keep going, keep pushing you. Um, for instance, I can hear Josh's voice like it was yesterday. Anytime I would miss a shot, he would then pass me the ball and say, caballo, they can't guard you. Kabayo means horse, right? He always called me the horse. He was like, we're riding you, Kabayo. Um, and if I didn't take the shot again, he would yell at me. He would push me. He would be like, you need to take that shot. They can't guard you. You have to take that shot. We're here. We need you to be selfish, right? And, it, and the energy was not like, I love you, Kabayo. You can do this. It was like, let's go. Like, it was a pushing energy. Obviously, that energy is not going to be for everyone. You have to find out what motivates you. But for a lot of people, that little bit of push can help them get out the door, can help them get to the gym or get to that dance class they've been dragging their heels on or get to the EPA or go reach out to that agent, whatever's going on in your career. Sometimes a little bit of that pushing energy can actually be really helpful for you. And a bit like what Josh was saying at the end about ego and having some but not letting it get out of hand, it is so important as actors and artists that we're able to healthily navigate that balance. You need to have some of these qualities, qualities like ambition, which in unadulterated form can be really dangerous, right? An ambitious person could feel greedy or could there's some negative connotations to it. But ambition often is what fuels us and keeps us moving forward. I want this career trajectory that's in the future, like Josh talked about. Um, just like we talked about in that sports and gameplay metaphor, that idea of playing hard and playing to win doesn't have to cross over into being a sore loser or playing dirty. Those two things actually have nothing to do with each other, though they may often be associated. It's not actually someone who plays really hard and plays to win and really tries does not mean you have to be a dirty player or a sore loser. 
And this industry is really, it's, it's a mixture between a team and an individual sport, right? It is in a lot of ways, you're an individual sport, but your teammates and your community that Josh was talking about can support you and lift you up even while you run your own race. You can even use others, right? You talk, we heard Josh saying, hey, if they aren't prepared, watch out. I'm coming in prepped, right? That idea of the other auditioner out there, you can use them to fuel you and motivate you as long as you don't become someone who sabotages or talks down specific people because, of course, in the end, that's only going to drag you down. And I know many listeners may not relate to exactly the method that Josh uses to motivate himself, right? Unless you happen to be one of those young bucks out there who thinks just like how Josh does. But I do really hope what you take from this conversation, if you have an energy that's very different than Josh's, is that conversation with yourself about how you will keep that fire burning. What method, what fuel are you going to use to keep that competitive, healthy, competitive fire that is fueling you ambitiously because this world and this industry will do a lot to try to put it out. There's a lot of stuff that just happens in life where it's going to get rained on. So what are you doing to refuel? What are you doing to keep that fire burning for yourself? Whether it's like Josh's method or it's how you're going to do it for yourself. Um, well, hopefully part of that is going to be continuing to listen to this podcast, no doubt. Megan, do you like that? I've started trying to do segues from the, the takeaway into the outro. Mm-hmm. She appreciates it. I would like that. I do. But if you do like that, please hit that follow button. Subscribe. Um, we love it if you rate us, if you review us. We suggest five stars if you're down with fuetes and an ironic five stars if you're more of a hip-shaking kind of person. Um, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com or reach Megan and me directly. Um, I'm at Charmer7 on Instagram and Twitter um, and Megan Marie at Megan Marie 2014 on the Insta. Uh If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college edition journey, please check us out at mtca.nyc. You can also follow us at Musical Theater College Auditions, at TweetMTCA, and coming soon to a TikTok and a YouTube near you. My God, we're going to be all over social media, Megan. It's really fantastic. Can't miss us. Uh, To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, DM Pasek and Paul on Instagram if you want to get cast in a Broadway musical. It's just that easy. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.